This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now, my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why I've chosen to use their gear above all else, here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created, and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 217. Today, we are wrapping up the final installment of the DIY Report miniseries with John Eberhardt, and we are talking about planning an out-of-state hunt. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Coming at you with another episode of the Truth From the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Um, nothing crazy to report here. Well, first, before before I jump into the 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 monologue here, um, I hope everyone had a good Valentine's Day. Um, Valentine's Day fun can equal missed opportunities come fall, if you know what I'm saying. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, 
from now till uh, hunting season is just about nine months away. So that should help you figure out what I'm ta- what I'm talking about. Um, so you don't want to jeopardize your time in the timber. So I should have probably given this um, public service announcement in the last podcast to make sure everyone was kind of uh, being mindful of consequences, so to, so to speak. But with that, uh, we'll kind of just get jumped into uh, into deer hunting topics at, at hand here. So nothing crazy to report here. Still snowed in, uh, dealing with weather. So I haven't had a chance to get out and do any type of scouting whatsoever. Which is really kind of driving me crazy, man, because there's a couple of new pieces I know that I've talked about that I've been chomping at the bit to get to. Um, and it's just, you know, they're under way more snow than I actually even have here. So it's just not even an option at this point. Pointless, actually, for me to even go do that. Not to mention that the trailer is completely snow plowed in. So it's going to be a little while before that thing, uh, before that thing takes flight. So I might have to do some digging out in the next couple of weeks. But hopefully some of this stuff will melt off and be able to get out and start thinking about scouting and then not too too awful long here we'll be thinking about uh thinking about doing some shed hunting but not going to belabor this up front we're just going to kind of jump into the to the to the straight dope so to speak uh before i do that though if you wouldn't mind uh head over to the website if you haven't yet if you're interested in any truth from the stand merch there's some there's a page on the website truthfromthestand.com you can go there there's shirts uh sweatshirts etc um that that are there as well and then if you wouldn't mind also head over to the youtube channel and give a sub if you haven't yet i post some videos there from time to time on some diy things making stuff you can watch how i built the entire trailer series uh etc so if you wouldn't mind head over uh, and do those two things for me that would be awesome but for today's show we have mr john eberhart on for our third installment um the previous two you know we kind of talked picked john's brain about late season hunting and about postseason scouting and in this one you know if you listen to this show for any length of time, you know that I really am into travel hunting. Love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's why I took on the project of building that DIY trailer last year is to be able to facilitate more of those types of more of those types of hunts. And what has, I guess, really made those hunts really fun for me um, was, you know, learning a lot from John in terms of like freelance hunting and stuff like that. Cause that's, he's big on that and does a lot of that and has done a lot of that in his, in his history as well as, Dan Enfalt and, you know, a bunch of other guys that I've had on and I've talked to, but John is really the one who kind of got me thinking in that direction. And a lot of the strategies that he talks about, um, you know, in in the books he's written and just in conversations that he's had on this podcast and others, you know, really kind of apply to that, to that approach and can provide you more opportunity for success or at least good hunts, um, in places that you may not be, may not be familiar with. But one thing I've never talked to John about was really how he approaches, out-of-state hunting, how he plans for those out-of-state hunts, things that he looks for, um, what type of states is he considering, like all those types of things that kind of go into like the planning phase of an out-of-state, uh, an, an out-of-state hunting trip. So that's really what we dive into today. Um, awesome talking to John, as always. Uh, always appreciate his perspective. You know, goes without saying that he knows his stuff when it comes to comes to the deer woods. And all you need to do is look at look at the mounts he has on his wall in high pressured areas so he knows how how to get it done so with that we will go ahead and jump in today's podcast as always i want to thank you all for listening all right folks welcome back to another episode of the truth from stand deer hunting podcast you are listening to the third installment of this diy report mini series with none other than mr john eberhart mr john eberhart how you doing man or am i boring you to death yet or are you doing all right i am doing just just absolutely fine, Clint. Awesome, man. Well, are, I, are you are you hanging in there too? Oh man, dude, I'm having like I, I so I've I've been nipping on some whiskey. Yeah, you know, I've been drinking some bourbon, so that that's always a positive. And then in the previous session that we did, I shared a piece of knowledge with you that you told me that I was really smart. So I feel like I'm I'm good to go for the night. Like I, I was, that was awesome. Yeah, I, yeah I'd never heard of anybody doing that. Before. Yeah, that it's kind of. 
it's uh, it, my night really couldn't get much better. So I, I, everything from and, here is gravy. So we're good to go. And I know you have access to motion cameras. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So awesome. So this session, guys, if you're just picking this up, we did two previous sessions uh, with, with John where we were talking about his late season approach and late season hunting in high pressured areas. Um, the second session was really talking about how John goes about his postseason scouting, the process, process that he follows and so forth. In this session, what we're talking about is one of the things that is really near and dear to my heart, which is uh, planning out of state hunts. Um, and this is something that I'm really passionate about. You know, and just in general, I love to travel to hunt. I love exploring new areas. And there's a style of hunting, and we can even touch on this a little bit, John, as we kind of, you know, go through some of this stuff. But there's a style of hunting that's really given me a lot of confidence to hunt out of state because I'm a regular guy like anyone else. I don't have a ton of time to go out of state to scout. So a lot of times I'm showing up blind to places um, and having to freelance, you know, and kind of freestyle hunt my way through a week to, to, to two weeks worth of hunting. Um, and so that is something I picked up from John along the way. Um, and so I thought it was pertinent that we talked to John about planning an out of state hunt, because a lot of my approach, uh, is born from a lot of the stuff that I've learned from John. So to get things started, John, let's just start from the beginning. You're, you're going to get ready to go on an out of state hunt. You're, be, you know, the season has ended. Maybe you even, you know, started your postseason scouting in your home state of Michigan, right? You're going to go out of state. You don't know what state yet. And let's just say for the purpose of this conversation, we're not taking into consideration draws or lotteries or anything like that. How do you start your planning process so whenever you're going to go out of state? Like, are you, of course, thinking of the state first? You know, are you planning like the time of year? Like, just walk me through what you're thinking. Well, the first thing I'm going to do if I'm going to go out of state, I'm going to go out to one of the premium states. I'm going to go to either, you know, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri. Uh, I will. I would never go to Nebraska because um, the cool thing about Iowa and Kansas and even Ohio for out of state is their gun seasons open late. Mm -hmm. So I could go out of state. Michigan's gun season opens on November fifteenth. I could actually leave on the fifteenth from Michigan and go to another state and bow hunt before their gun season opens because those states their gun seasons open. Uh, typically in early December, I, I don't know, Ohio's kind of late November or early December. So I can still bow on, you know, during the peak rut and into the post rut, you know, I'm bow hunting before their gun season. Cause once the gun season happens, then things go downhill really, really fast. But, right. um, like, yeah, I think I had told you before that when I, anytime I've went out of state for the first time to a, to a new state, I, I never one of the coolest challenges to me is to go out and figure something out on the fly. So in other words, you go to a new property, you've never been there before. Um, you know, what I always look for if I'm going to go out of state is I always try to find public land or private land that has a lot of ag or a lot of open area. You know, and you get out in Kansas, for instance, because I'm typically in western, central to western Kansas, it's more plainsy. You know, I want to, I want to go out of state cause it's going to be a short term hunt. It's going to be seven to 10 days. I want to go to an area that's not all timber. You know, like you go to Southern Ohio and it, it's just a lot of timber. Um, and big timbers hard to hunt on a short term hunt because there are no destination locations and there's just too many places for the deer to wander. They just got too big of a territory. When you go to areas where there's a lot of ag or open pastures or just, you know, prairie, 
where you've got, you know, 80% open area to 20% timber, uh, your odds are going to be much, much higher because the deer have a lot smaller locations to transition through and move through during daylight hours through the best security cover that they possibly can have. Right. So anytime I'm going out of state, I'm, I'm always looking for less timber, more open, whereas most hunters are looking for, everybody wants to go to the big woods, you know, right. big woods out of state, but it, on a short term hunt, bigger the woods the the more it's not your friend right. because there's just no destination locations there's too many places for the deer to be at any one point in time right so so kind of look for that but when i go out of state first time i go someplace it's i scout in prep locations the first day and a half at least mm-hmm. typically the first two days so i don't even think about bowing mm-hmm. all i'm doing is scouting and prepping locations. I usually will start hunting on day three. Sometimes I'm, if I find a couple of really good locations, two or three really good locations, I might hunt the second afternoon. Uh, but I, I always plan on leaving Michigan to where I'm going to get there at like seven to eight o'clock in the morning. So I'm driving all night and then I just unload in the hotel or wherever I'm staying. And then I go out and I scout. So I got a full full day to scout and prep locations and then the next half a day or the next full day. Um, sometimes I will hunt on that very set the second day in the, in the evening, but, right. um, yeah, I but as far as the state, I always, I always look for a state with, with lighter pressure that has a late gun season opener. Yeah. No, I, I and I follow, you know, a very similar kind of, kind of process that, that, that you do in terms of, you know, picking my, picking my state. I'm definitely going to try to choose something that maybe offers me things that I don't have in my home state per se, um, from mm-hmm. caliber deer and maybe just overall experience. And, and we're going to touch on some freelance hunting here in a second. Cause that's one of the things that I've picked up from you. And actually the two most recent, you know, out of state hunts that I've done were all, were all freelance hunting. And I just, I absolutely love it. It's something I actually need to adopt more in my home state. But when you are looking at States and it totally makes sense, like I never, I never really thought of, you know, looking at places that have less timber, um, you know, uh, a higher a higher open area to timber ratio, I guess, is maybe way a way to put yeah, it. Yeah, that's but, a perfect way to put it. Yeah, yep. it, it's it, that totally makes sense, and I've never really thought of that before. But you know, are you focusing on? Is there any particular type of terrain that you want to that you want to kind of dive into? Like, for example, like so, say you're looking for that that ratio that we just talked about, but are you kind of looking for places that might have you know, elevation changes? Are you looking for places that might have more, you know, river bottom or creek bottoms, you know, maybe to use for easier access, you know, that you can use a creek bed or whatever to get into a spot? Are you looking for anything specific like that? Or is it more just the ratio that you're focused on? I, I, folk, I definitely focus on the ratio first. That's, mm-hmm. that's hands down number one. I want 70 to 80% ag or open prairie or pasture uh, to 20 to 30% timber. Uh, Second thing I focus on, obviously in Kansas, you're not going to get any hill country. Right. <laughs> so that's, right. that's all going to be flat. So what I'm going to want in a in a Kansas type setting, and typically, like I said, I've always hunted central to western Kansas, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of draws out there. And when I say draws, they're hun- they're thousands of year old floodplains. Mm-hmm. So the land out there is pretty dang flat, and when they get heavy heavy rain, all the rain drains into these draws. And these draws just meander through the countryside, and there's usually a draw every 
three quarters to mile, mile and a half, there's another draw. And the draw is, you know, you may be looking across the landscape and you'll see the tips of some trees out there across, halfway across the section and you get out there and, and those trees are, you know, 120 feet tall. They're big, huge cottonwoods and it's a hundred foot gulch draw. And they just meander through the countryside and they're full of hemp and they're full of, you know, tall weeds, a lot of plum brush. And basically that is the only area during daylight where the deer can transition through and have some semblance of security cover. And they're also down in the, in the draw. So if somebody was up on the flat plains, you know, up in the crops or the plains, they can't visually see it. Now, when I'm going to Ohio, I, I like to go down to Southern Ohio and there's a lot of public land down there where you, it's right on the edge of the egg. Mm-hmm. So you, you're right where the egg butts up to, it starts to get hilly and into the timber. And I, I love hunting. I love hunting that it's not as easy to hunt because there's more timber. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love hunting it and the deer tend to travel because I'm always going out there late when all the foliage is down, they tend to travel down through the bottoms of the, the saddle between the hills right? Uh, because it's, because it's lower ground, it's wetter ground. There's more vegetation down there. There's it's better security cover. Um, now, because I'm uh, I'm using scent locks, so I'm, I never worry about the wind. I can get away with hunting down in those saddles. Back before before I knew how to use and properly use scent lock, there's no way I'd get away with that because you always get busted with the wind when you're hunting yeah. in saddles because you get so much swirling wind and thermals. Yeah. Um, but I, I love hunting that hill country in Ohio, but I definitely not even remotely close have the same success rate. I think I've got a 33% success rate in Ohio on three, three hunts hmm. and Kansas. I'm probably at 90%. Wow. Um, I was kind of the same. Actually, I was probably a mix mm-hmm. when I've been to Iowa. I went to Iowa in 97, 99, uh, shot 180 inch out there on a freelance hunt, uh, in 2001. Um, so I've been to Iowa probably seven or eight times. And I think I killed the, I think I killed the book buck every time. So I think I'm a hundred percent in Iowa. Hmm. Um, and most of those hunts I was by myself. I just went by myself. I've been going to Kansas with my two boys the last couple of times. Right. Um, but I was kind of a mix between the two. So Iowa, you're not going to get 70 to 80% open and 20 to 30% timber iowa you're going to get about half and half um you know half of the property where i've been public land and even cold calling for free hunting permission you know from plat books um it's usually been about 50 50 ag ag to timber and it's typically been hilly i've been in the southern portion of zone seven you know bordering um zone five right uh so i i was just I don't know how to even say it. Iowa and Kansas are the best two states. Right. And when I went to Missouri, Missouri, went to Missouri one time and I shot 160 inch around a 40 acre parcel that I just cold called a guy and he gave me permission. Um, and that was almost all ag. His 40 was all bedding area. Hmm. Everything around it was ag. And Perfect. It, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was, that was a nasty hunt. It rained four days from daylight till dark. And I said daylight till dark all four days. Uh, it was Killed worth it. on my lap. So, oh yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was worth it. So how much are you, fo- so 
this will be maybe a Kansas specific uh, question. Okay. And this is maybe a little bit selfish because I'm going to Kansas this year. <laughs> so, okay. Um, you know, Great state. Yeah. Best state in the country, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to the trip. I'm trying to figure out exactly where I'm going to go. But, you know, I'm looking at like the different public land that they have there and stuff like that, because that's probably what I'm going to do. But when you're choosing where you're going, how much are you paying attention to, you know, the walk in access property that they have in addition to the public land that they might have? Because they do have like the those walk in access pieces. Yep. You know, are you hunting those or are you kind of focusing on? The public land pieces, or are you getting some knock on door, or what's the deal there? Those walk-ons are getting very, very limited because there's so much leasing going on in Kansas over the last 10 years because leasing everything up and hoarding it has become so popular. Right. And now there's, there's like, when I first went to Kansas where I'm at in 2004, there was no pay-to-hunt ranches. Now there's eight. Hmm. In the little city I'm staying in, there's eight different pay-to-hunt ranches. And all of the countryside around there is leased. So the way those walk-on hunting properties work, and there was a lot of them when I first went out there, is they I think the state would pay them anywhere from 75 cents to a buck and a quarter an acre just to have a WOH sign. Mm-hmm. And anybody could go in there and bird hunt or whatever they wanted to do hunt-wise. Well, now, you know, somebody, they're going to lease those up because the guys that are leasing it are paying them a lot more than a dollar an acre right. to lease it. So you're not seeing a lot of that walk-on like you used to. There's still some where they just refuse to lease it to somebody. You know, they want to let people hunt it, but it, it's very rare now. Uh, but back when I first started going out there, yeah, I, I hunted as much walk-on as I did public as I did private. It was probably equal between the three. Hmm. And there was a lot of walk-on, and it was excellent, excellent right. property. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard if you can find the right pieces, like you can find some really great walk-on, you know, pieces especially when you get out more in the west where you may have fewer trees and so you don't have as many you know near as many deer hunters you know um i have some Mm. buddies who are proficient at hunting on the ground and so they like the western side for that because they're like look i get a lot more opportunity because a lot of guys don't want to go hunt it if you're absolutely correct you're gonna have to hunt it from the ground you know or 90 percent of it's from the ground right you might find a small draw somewhere or something like that with a couple trees and he's like but or a fence row or something like that he's like but by and large if you're willing to go hunt from the ground and just do a lot of road driving and glassing to find where the deer are at and then making a move on them, he's like, then you'll have as much access as, as you'll want the further west you go, essentially. Yep, that's 100% true. It's more plainsy the farther west you go, the less pressure it is because it's the farther drive. Because almost not a lot of staters are coming from the east, northeast. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's a farther drive and people don't want to drive any farther than, than they have to. I've, I've considered going farther west because where I'm at in central central kansas it's starting it's starting god i sounds weird for even to say it it's starting to get some hunting pressure right (laughs) and when i say hunting pressure you got to keep in mind right when you have got that much open area and that minimal timber it doesn't take a lot of hunting pressure to totally disrupt the routine right so i guess that's the best way to put it in perspective because when they passed full inclusion crossbow a few years back now just about everybody that was giving me free permission has some relative hunting their property and they're all baiting. They all got feeders up. So by the time we get there, it's beat up pretty bad. And I see a lot of the out of staters now that are hunting in, there's a lot of Michigan hunters that go to 
Kansas a lot. Yeah. And now I'm seeing them coming home with 115, 120, you know, two and a half year old, 125, 130 inches. Right. And when I first started going out there, nobody thought about shooting anything under 140 inches. I, my, my minimal was 150 and up. Right. But now you're seeing a lot of these guys killing these two year olds that are big and by Michigan standards, but that's the bucks. They're killing the bucks so they don't get to the old age group, you know, for right. the guys that are more serious. And, and this year, I think Kansas, I think they gave permits to everybody, all the non-residents that applied this year. Oh, well, yeah. You know what? That's funny. Cause I had a buddy who on a whim, he's like, I think I'm going to try to go to Kansas. And I was like, and I knew just cause I was planning to go this year and I knew I was going to Missouri last year. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a point. This was last year. I was like, so I know that I'll, I think like you're almost guaranteed if you have a one point or whatever. And so I was like, I should, Oh yeah, you are one uh, point. You're definitely guaranteed. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, w- I definitely want to go next year. It's like, someone's just going to buy the point. And then my buddy put in, he actually put in late and ended up getting a tag. So, yeah. Yeah. I think they gave everybody a tag this year. Hmm. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that everybody I know, everybody I know that applied, got a permit. And then yeah. somebody told me out there that everybody, Kansas gave everybody a permit. I don't know if it was COVID related. I have no freaking clue. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. I mean, I'm glad I didn't buy one because it'd just be another one that I'd still be holding on to at this point. Cause I currently have all of them. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And it is kind of interesting. Cause I lost, um, I had permission on five different farms. Cause when I first started going out there in 2004, it was super easy to get free permission. Hmm. I mean, the public land out there is phenomenal. But I don't care what state you're in, private is typically a little bit better, even if it's minimally, it's it's typically better than public. Right. So, uh, you know, I had five different guys give me free permission, and I lost three of them. So now Jeez. I'm down, down to two. So. Yeah. And my kids both shot bucks out there this year. I did not. I, I watched a fight from hell. I watched the half rack, 10 and a half rack, eight. One would have been a 140. One would have been a 160 if they had the other side. They broke, both had their left sides broke off. And I watched them that? have an all-out battle at 17 yards in front of me, and the 10 point poked out the eight points left eye. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that. And I was just like, because <laughs> didn't you see that deer the next day or like a couple of days later or something like that without the eye? Yeah, we well we had we had the half rack eight point on camera two days earlier with both eyes. You know how after dark you yep. can see a little glow. Yep. And then two days later we had that eight point there. It was at a primary scrape area, and he one his left eye was missing. And I saw the ten point when they were fighting right in front of me. His his head made a quick left turn, and so that right antler went right into the side of that buck's face. And that eight point after rack eight just turned around and busted out of there like a bat out of hell. And yeah. I know that what popped his eye right yeah i mean if i would have lost an eye i probably would have been out of there too if i'm being honest yeah I'm more I'm not, I'm not sticking <laughs> so i think what has to happen is i think you need to go to kansas next year and i, I need i think you need to shoot old one eye to kind of keep to, to, <laughs> there you, know. You, you know what i never thought about that but i'll definitely be able to recognize it yeah. that's one downside of going to kansas late during post post rut i love hunting post rut when i go out of state in a state where they have a december opener for gun mm-hmm. because post rut the, the mature bucks they're locked down almost for about two weeks from november 7th to about the 22nd somewhere in there and the the, the big dominant bucks they're just doed up and then about the 22nd 23rd 24th you start seeing those bigger bucks but 
because they have to start looking and actually getting off their butts and searching for those late estrus does. Mm -hmm. So they have to get up and physically move out of wherever they're betting. And they, their guard is down. You can just tell they've lost a lot of weight. They're, they're just tired and, and they just move with reckless abandon. But the downside is I would bet 60 to 70% of them have busted up antlers. Oh yeah. By my, that time. Yeah. My buddy was just out there. He actually went out. Well, he was out there in early season missed. Oh, I shouldn't say early season. He was out there in, I want to say maybe like the third week of October, if memory serves. And he missed a really good deer. It's probably 160 inch deer roughly. And then, um, he, he's from Iowa. So he was back in Iowa hunting and then he went back out in late season um, to try to fill his tag. And he ended up filling his tag on the last day of the last day was going to be in Kansas. And he shot, he was a really good deer, but his whole right side is just like, I mean, just every time is broken, you know what I mean? Just like his left side is great, but like the whole, like, it's like there's two inches missing off of this one. There's three inches missing off of this one. You know what I mean? Just like busted up, you know? And I was There's like, so many mature bucks out there and they beat the crap out well, of Well, yeah. I mean, that's why rattling out there works, man. Like cracking yep. together. It's like, you'll, if you're at the right spot, man, you crack them together out there, they'll come running, you know, it's like, <laughs> but they're fighters, you know? So it's like, he, it's funny. Cause whenever he shot that deer, he actually FaceTimed me. I was working and he FaceTimed me. I knew exactly what happened. You know, whenever he FaceTimed me, cause it's like, well, he's not going to video call me. I was like, unless he'd shot something. So I pick it up. And he's, I was like, you get something. He's like, yeah. And I was like, and he's showing it to me. I'm like, he's like, dude, he's like, he is all busted up. Like he's like, his body's all like lumpy. And it's like, he's just like, he's all scratched up. Face is all scarred up, you know, <laughs> and the right side of his rack is all broken up and stuff. <laughs> I wonder why he shot him. Um, well, last, last day. And it was just a really, I mean, if he had everything, he was probably, I don't know. Cause I haven't seen like the final, yeah, final but, yeah, but he, but he didn't. <laughs> right right <laughs> but uh i mean he still had a decent he still had a decent rack you know I, I think it was one of those things you know i don't want to tell his his full story here because i'm going to have him on to talk about it but he, oh, had, okay. he had he had a pretty rough year and he's talked about this personally so i'm not telling any tales that he hasn't hasn't mentioned before he had a pretty rough year for personally with like some family health and stuff like that and it was just one of those things where oh. it's like the year that anything that could have went wrong did go wrong type of thing yep. and it was a little bit of a re redemption hunt type of thing. So it's yep. a great deer, you know, but it was more of like, let's close the chapter on this freaking year and, and get out of here. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But getting back to I, the, I'm sorry, go ahead, John. I, I had, I had a situation like that. I was hunting uh, next to a, a pretty dense bedding area of pine trees, which is extremely rare in Kansas. And um, there was a primary scrape area just outside the edge. And I was hunting that for like three days. And we had pictures of this 20, it's probably a 25 inch inside spread, uh, uh, 12 point. And finally on the 20, they were all nighttime. They were all after dark pictures. And I know what was happening. He was, he was in that, those pines, you know, doed up and he'd come out after dark with the dough. And, um, so anyway, as I think it was on the 23rd on the evening of the 23rd, he came out, he came out of those pines. And he must have gotten a fight, you know, that day or the day before. Because mm -hmm. we had a picture of him two days earlier with all of his points, and he had five points broke up. Yeah. And I, I took a picture with my cell phone, and I mean, this thing was. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm being very cautious when I say 24-inch inside spread. Jeez. It was at least 24-inch inside spread. Good Lord, man. That's crazy, yeah. man. So, yeah. Uh, net- it was 12 yards. I didn't shoot. I I won't shoot them when they're busted up like that. Right. Yeah, I would I would have to say that I would be hard pressed to not. There might have been there there might have been carbon flying if I were there. That might have been <laughs> <laughs> just gonna put that out there. Well I was thinking maybe next year, but I never saw him again. Right, so. right. <laughs> um all right. So we're gonna we're gonna get back on the topic of the the okay. plan planning the out of state hunt hunt there. I mean that was all related, but we're gonna there's a couple other questions I have here for you because I'm just curious to how sure. you kind of appro- approach some of this. So We've gotten the parcel kind of narrowed down at this point, right? Like as far as, you know, we know what we're, I shouldn't say narrowed down. We know what we're looking for. We know we want a higher, you know, ag to timber, timber ratio. You know, we're going to look for maybe some things that have some draws and stuff like that. Some different type of features that we might want to focus on and stuff like that. You know, how are you qualifying a parcel that's something that is worth your time to hunt? Right. And so what I mean by that is, is like, so say for example, you're in Michigan and let's pretend you don't have any free permission and you've maybe not been to a piece of public land out there and you're trying to find where you're going to go. And you might be able to go out and scout it later, but you still need to figure out where you're going to go scout, right? Mm-hmm. How are you qualifying it to say, okay, this is the spot that I'm going to go, that I'm going to go check out. Like what things have to line up for you on an out-of-state hunt like that to say, this is a place where I'm going to go spend either my time scouting or my time potentially freelance hunting. Well, the cool thing about it nowadays is you got Onyx. So basically you pull up aerial maps and you try and find some some semblance of pinch points or mm-hmm. some openings back in timber. Because most of the public land out there is still a lot of timber. Right. I mean, most public lands in every state is still a lot of timber. You don't get a lot of ag. So. And then once I once I start scouting, I'm, I'm still looking for scrape areas. I mean, out there, there's so many scrape areas out there. It's mm-hmm. just unbelievable. There's scrapes everywhere so you got to look for areas where just like here you know even though they're not as security cover oriented mature bucks always no matter where they're at they're going to tend to travel within or down the edges of the better the best security cover possible to get to point a to point b during Mm -hmm. daylight hours so i'm still looking for security cover but i'm setting up on primary scrape areas we had 11 trees prepped this last fall all of them were at scrape areas every mm-hmm. single one i think for the last 10 years i've been out there every location has been at a primary scrape area and typically out there anytime there's some semblance of a pinch a pinch point you know connecting two areas of timber or or if you've got a draw meandering through the countryside whether it be on walk-on free walk-on property or even the draws even run through the public lands you know, the draws meander. They they not only meander through the countryside, they get narrower and wider, you mm-hmm. know, in different locations. So you you always want to look for the narrowest spot because that's going to be the most congested deer activity. And the more the congested the doe activity, the more odds are there's going to be scrapes there. And that's obviously where the congested buck activity is going to be because all buck activity during rut phases revolves around the doe activity. Right. So you're looking for pinches. Um you don't really see much out there, at least in Kansas, for 
for food. You know, they, they don't really have oaks. Um, you know, when they feed, they basically come up out of the draws or come out of the timber and eat in the pastures or the prairies at night um, or the egg. egg. Uh, where I'm at, I'm so far west, they don't really grow corn. It's milo and green fields. Corn, okay. It's too arid for corn. Hmm. So... Nice. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, that I look for, I mean, I, I, I followed a lot of the same stuff you just talked about. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat of a disciple of your, 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 of many of the, of many of your approaches. Um, the, one of the things that I do look for though, too, is, is diversity of habitat. I try to find those areas where different habitat meets new habitat, whatever that, mm-hmm. whatever that is for one, it just gives me more yeah. options. And two, it creates definitive edges and we all know that deer are edge creatures and so it gives me a really good starting points to kind of know where i want to start scouting because i can kind of see where that diversity of habitat kind of lies and usually if i can find stuff that's a little bit wet it also provides like a little bit more um you know a little bit more growth so it tends to be a little bit a little bit thicker you're not going to find much of that in western right now i'm speaking outside of outside of kansas you know just just generally speaking if someone was going to go to ohio or you know missouri train featured yeah Yeah, train featured dumps yeah yeah i'm just looking for any type of diversity you know is one of the things that i'll look for and even you know in kansas it might just be different diversity because i think it's one of the things we've talked about consistently is you have to have this you have to kind of contextualize all these terms that we use for where you're hunting right mm-hmm. so diversity of habitat in kansas means something entirely different than it does if you're in missouri right it's yep. just there's there's many different things there's just it's, it's it's just different so diversity in missouri might be a ridge system dumping into a creek bottom right and that you have like that sure. diversity of yeah. habitat and then whenever you're in kansas it very well may be a crp field that ends up dumping into a a drainage, you know what I mean? Or, or a draw, right. Or meeting up against the fence row or something like that, or a, you know, or a tall, a tall, uh, Milo field button up to a, a draw or sometimes, and it's rare out there, but once in a while you'll get two draws that intersect. Hmm. And, and obviously where they intersect is a really hot spot. <laughs> right. I was just going to say like, yeah. that's like X marks the spot there. I'm sure for that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. so on these trips, man, when you're going out of state, you know, are these, Percentage wise, how often are you freelance hunting these and how often are these kind of places that you've postseason scouted or scouted to some degree? Um, I, I never, I never go out of state and pre-scout ever. Okay. Never. <laughs> I know Andy May does that a lot. You know, he, mm-hmm. he gets permission someplace or public land. He'll go out there, you know, in September and August and do a lot of scouting and put cameras up. I, I don't do that. Um, so, uh, what was the question? It was percentage of freelance hunts versus postseason oh. scouts. So it sounds like a hundred percent like freelance. And then as you hunt those places over time, like you just start to learn them. No, it's not a hundred percent freelancing because I typically, like I mentioned, I typically spend the first day and a half to possibly two days. Got it. Scouting, scout the property and prep locations. But if like the 180 incher in mm-hmm. Iowa, I killed two monsters in Iowa on freelance hunts. But I I had went to a preset location that I had scouted and prepped the first day or two I was there. And then I was, because I'm always out there in late November, you know, I got a big visual because all the foliage is down. Mm-hmm. I was seeing deer activity, you know, a couple hundred yards away. 
and I wasn't seeing much where I was. You know, just because you scout and you think you're picking out the best locations doesn't mean you always are. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not stupid, and when I see activity at a distance, even though I didn't see the monster buck that I ended up shooting back there, I, I saw general deer activity much more so than where I was. So I got down at like 10 in the morning. I was going to be, it was going to be an all day sit and I had a decoy out hmm. and I packed up the decoy and just left it for my exit. I wasn't going to carry it with me. And I just really slowly went 200 yards, 250 yards back closer to this big river. And, uh, I, I, man, I found a scrape area from freaking hell. It was just <laughs> unbelievable Four monster scrapes. I mean, it was one of those spots where it just smacks you in the face and say, you're an idiot if you don't hunt right here. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I prepped a tree and I shot a 180 inch, inch buck that evening. And the other one was the same deal I was hunting and, and I just wasn't seeing anything. I wasn't really seeing any other activity at a distance. I just wasn't seeing anything where I was. And it was just going to be an all day sit. So I got down and just moved back or deeper into the junk and, um, set up and that one I had a decoy with me as well I set up a, a decoy as a doe and I had a about 150 inch buck come in about an hour before before dark and it was a, a kind of a weedy area back by a river with some scattered brush and right. he, he saw that doe he just came right into that doe decoy on a, yeah. on a line just like a beagle on a rabbit yeah it's it's man I, I tell you what I've followed you I mean I've you know, followed a lot of your stuff for a lot of years. And I've mentioned that multiple times. And one of the things that I've really kind of fallen in love with that I've learned from you is, is freelance hunting to where I almost yeah. don't like to go out of state and hunt unless I'm doing a freelance hunt. Like that's kind of my preferred method. And like, so the last two trips I've taken, one was Iowa, um, freelance hunted that whole trip. I mean, I actually went out in March and, and scouted and shed hunted and ended up hunting a piece of property completely different of where I scouted and started from scratch. And, you know, ended up killing it, ended up missing one a couple of times. Everyone who listens to the show has heard that, but I've missed a big one a couple of times and ended up bumping a really big deer. And, and the last day of the hunt, I ended up killing, killing a good buck on the 15th day, you know, and it was a freelance hunt the whole, the whole way. It was classic, like a lot of the stuff you've talked about, which is, you know, I would get up and, you know, when I decided I was going to move off the piece that I had previously scouted, I'm just going to hunt all unknown territory I walked in at daylight so I could see and I just scouted until I found hot sign and what I thought was the best stuff. And I set up on it and I would maybe hunt that till in the afternoon. And if I didn't see what I wanted to see, then I would get down and I would move and I'd find the next set of hot sign that was the best. And I would hunt that. And then if I, you know, I would leave my stuff in the tree and I knew how to get in and out of that spot. So I'd come back and hunt that in the morning because I could get into the dark. And then as soon as it would crack daylight, I would sit it to maybe nine. And if I didn't see anything or if I didn't see what I wanted to see, then I would get down and move and start and do it all over again. <laughs> and I basically yeah. did that rinse repeat for like close to 15 days. <laughs> it, Freelance hunting is really exciting. I mean, because you don't know what you're going to get into. You have no clue. <laughs> well, on that, on that trip, I missed, well, I missed that good deer who was a mid, mid one forties, eight point, um, uh, missed him. Big eight point. Yeah. Missed him twice, which sucked. Um, I ended up bumping a one eighty out of a draw of a CRP field. Um, I was hunting on the ground and, and ended up bumping him. And then I ended up, I never scored the deer that I shot, but I ended up shooting a good, uh, I guess he was a mainframe eight with a kicker off his G off his G two, um, mm -hmm. a good deer, um, on the 15th day killed him. And it was just, 
I mean, I had the time of my life. And what I, the one I told people was, and what I always tell people when they ask me about that hunt, I was like, yeah, it was Iowa. And I got to see a bunch of cool deer stuff. I was like, but man, freelance hunting that trip out of state like that, a new terrain. I was like, it was like taking a master's class on deer hunting. Yeah, because I agree. Yeah. It was just, I had to, I, I was, I was, I was completely solo. Like I wasn't with anybody. It was a solo trip. Like no one else I knew drew a tag. I had a buddy who lives there, but he lived roughly 30 miles or 30 minutes away from where I was hunting. So I wasn't, he, we didn't hunt the same areas. He had a lease, you know, and all that stuff. So it was completely solo and completely freelance. And it was the same thing. And I just, what you said earlier about the challenge, man, that's the thing that really gets me going. And, and so this year, you know, I was going to Missouri and it was being filmed, you know, and, and part of me was like, man, you should really go scout because like you're gonna have a camera guy with you. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's going to really suck if you can't find any deer, you know what I mean? And, but I was like, no, nah, I was like, I want to do it. Like, I don't want to scout. I want to just go figure it out, you know, and the, the camera will see what it sees, you know, and it's like how it's the process. Right. And yep. And so we went out and John, we got to the first piece and it was okay. And we got pressure and we were there for about two and a half days. And I had the second day I had an encounter with three bucks. Two of them were shooter bucks. We just, they were just moving so quick. We couldn't get them stopped. Right. And that was on the ground. I was hunting on the ground that day. Um, so within two and a half days, got on shooters in Missouri. We ended up leaving that spot, driving an hour and a half West, went to a new piece, hunted that for two days and freelance hunted. We didn't even set up except that, the first evening we set up, I think, because we just, it was getting close to dark. And we were like, all right, it's just set up here because we didn't just see anything that we really liked. And then the next day we had found some stuff like the first day when we were walking around that we were like, I'm going to go back there and hunt that the next morning. Ended up having an encounter with a shooter that mo- that next morning and was just, I was set up 20 yards too far to my east. I needed to be 20 yards closer to like, you know how when you're walking in and you see brush or you see ground cover and on the ground it looks really really thick and you think oh, i'm in the thick stuff and then you get yeah. to the tree and you realize oh the the definitive line of the thickness is like 20 yards away that's what yeah. happened and i needed to be 20 <laughs> yards further in and i didn't notice that until those deer came through um and just couldn't get a shot at them and so a bunch of pressure rolled in so we hunted that for like two and a half days a bunch of pressure rolled in left that piece went to another piece we'd never been to that was like boat access only and I about got run over the first day I walked into this cedar thicket about got run over by 150 inch deer while I was taking a leak and then ended up still hunting my way back to him to 40 yards and he blew out. And then the next day I set up in between the cedar thicket and ended up shoot hitting a deer and we, and we lost it and didn't find it. Um, I ended up clipping oh, a small, br- clipping a small branch. And yeah. so, so three different pieces of public land in seven days, and I had three encounters. Lots of opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Have all you ever thought about taking lakes. a Montana decoy with you? So I had one with me, and I never busted it out, and I should have. It, it was it stayed in my. I think I took it on one hunt with me and never set it up. Um, and just I've I've not hunt, hunted with a decoy in the past, John, and I just was really I was apprehensive about doing it, and I should have did it in all honesty. Yeah. Well, decoys can work both ways, you know, if you, especially in Montana where it's not a 3d, it's 2d. Right. So, uh, but if the cool thing about Montana is if it, I mean, a Montana, if you're looking at it from the front, it looks like a real deer. Oh yeah. It looks way more like a deer than a hard body decoy. And 
So if you get a deer at a distance, he's going to commit to coming to it as long as he's looking at partially, you know, the front of the, even if it's at a 45, they're, they're still seeing a deer. Um, when they get close is when they get a little bit leery of it. But if right. you put it, you know, 10 yards from your tree, you know, maybe by the time they get close, it's 20 or 30 yards from your tree. So you still can shoot it. So right. um, as far as when you're hunting on the ground where you've got a, some open area, the, having that visual big big deal yeah and obviously a 3d is just way too cumbersome to tote around yeah for freelancing it's way too cumbersome yeah but uh it's it's that challenge though man like i left that hunt even though i didn't get anything right it bummed me out i hate i hate hitting a deer and getting away you know which but you had a lot of great hunts yeah i mean you know never hunted any of those pieces before and it's it's one of those things like of you know continuing i'm a big like prove it person right and so i like to continue to prove to myself i can do the things that i think that i can do <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and it's and that's one of those things where it's like i consistently like to challenge myself to go out on these hunts so that i don't know the area i don't know the spot and force myself to like be uncomfortable and just figure it out you know and yep. and you know look it's it's hard to do what i'll say is this is i need to adopt more of that in my home state if i'm being honest with you because i think i i start to learn some of these pieces so to a point to where i start to make overthink overthought decisions if you will and i'm not going off of just being a predator and in hunting off of instinct if that makes sense yeah but it is i i will say this you know I would struggle in Michigan to freelance because when I walk in the woods in Michigan, yeah. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I yeah. really do. It's like, especially if it's dead calm, every, I'm almost like a big buck. I, every step I take, I'm waiting for a reaction someplace, you know? Right. Um, whereas when I go out in Iowa and Kansas and even in Missouri, I, I can let my guard down big time and you can freelance the deer. The deer just totally react different and there's so many mature bucks. Yeah that you're going to have, you should have opportunities if you're out there for a week. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's just different. And yeah. you, you just got to be really, really cautious when you're hunting in a really heavily pressured area. Cause it doesn't take much to turn those deer around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Screw those deer up. Yeah. But, but with that, but man, yeah, freelancing is a great, great, it's a phenomenal way to hunt. You know, it's getting a lot more popular because of the hunting public guys and, mm-hmm. And Garrett's doing a lot of it, and uh, I, I just I just love what's going on in the hunting industry now. Right yeah. now, as far as public land hunting, DIY hunting, saddle hunting, you know, I, I'm kind of a little turned off by all the people buying up and hoarding all the land. And yeah. you know, back 20 years ago, you know, I was killing pretty nice bucks on an annual basis for what everybody else is killing now there's so many people killing nice bucks because everybody's managing property and mm-hmm. you know, they're, they've got lots of options and lots of big bucks on their property. So hunting has just changed dramatically over the last yeah. 15 or 20 years. But I love what the hunting public guys are doing because now somebody that's in PA or New York or New Jersey that shoots a 115 inch, you know, 14, 16 inch, eight point or small 10 point, you know, that's a big deal. And now yeah. he doesn't have to be ashamed to show it to somebody. You yeah. got five years ago, you put a 110 inch deer online and everybody's like, what'd you shoot that thing for? And that's, that's the 
that's sick to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've always <laughs> depending said, on man, where you're hunting, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I've always said, I was like, man, there's, there's guys in Michigan and Pennsylvania and just high pressure places in general that are consistently killing 110 inch deer every year. I was like, and that, and they're guy, badass hunters. And that guy's is, is a killer. You know what I mean? Because it's like, he's in his yeah. area. He's, he's killing the top, the top end of the deer in his area. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the bottom line. You hit that yep. nail right on the head. Yeah, you know what I mean? And that's kind of like yep. people will ask me, like, what I'm after or whatever. And I always say, you know, for me, it's in Pennsylvania. Depends on where you're on. Yeah, I was like, I'm trying to shoot a three-year-old. I was like, because in this area, it's like yep. that's the top end of, like, the age structure for this area. You know, and I was like, yep. a three-year-old around here is probably going to be an eight-point that's, like, right around Pope. Like, he's going to be between 115 and 125 inches probably. You know, yep. I was like, roughly. So, but with that, man, is there anything else about out of state hunting that we haven't hit that we should touch on real quick? Or do you think we covered it adequately? Uh, we were all over the place. Well, I, I still think if the guys live, if a guy lives up in the Northeast or, you know, Michigan, PA, uh, any place up in the Northeast where hunting's really tough, um, yeah, December. I, I still think a guy should. Don't pass up that December hunting because you get out there in a lot of those lightly pressured states. And December hunting can be phenomenal because there's still a lot of big bucks left. Yep. <laughs> there's a lot of big bucks left. When I've, you know, I think I'm two for three in Illinois going to public land in, in December right after gun season. But always wait. You know, if you can, try and go after they get some semblance of a fresh snow. Right. Because then you're looking at sign that's 24 hours old. You're looking at fresh sign. And by then they're pretty routine and their travel movements are pretty routine because they're typically bedding to a feeding feeding area at that time so as long as you got some semblance of security cover you can find some traffic flow through you know it's easy to set up on and you're probably going to get an opportunity because they're still moving in now out west they tend to move in the daylight hours pretty much all year (laughs) right right and make sure you go to kansas earlier versus later that way your bucks aren't busted up the other yeah if, yeah if you go in december you're definitely gonna <laughs> yeah about 70 percent of the deer are gonna be busted up for right sure. <laughs> all right john so with that man before i let you get okay. going i appreciate you doing this whole series i always love talking to you man i could talk to you forever um you know just you, you have a ton of information to share with folks and you always have a, a really great way of sharing it and i just appreciate our friendship so i appreciate you coming on but before i let you go well, thank you Clint. yeah man let everyone know where they can find out more about you your youtube pay or your youtube channel the workshops you have going on the books like all the things they could you know learn about johnny Park. Okay. okay website is dear john dear hyphen john.net uh uh, my workshops are on there, and again, I mentioned this on those previous two. Um, I, I think my March shop is full. My my April first April shop only has two openings; the other one's three openings. So there's only a few spots left. The May one still has a lot of openings, um, but that's all on my website. And my books are for sale, and my DVDs are for sale on the website. Um, I have a new Eberhardt Signature saddle, which is a two-panel saddle, which is hands down the most comfortable saddle you can buy because uh, you can totally adjust it as far as seat depth and whatever you want up on your back and it stays under your butt you never you never find yourself lifting your weight up and pushing it back under your butt a two panel the inner panel always stays under your butt in one spot all the time uh and that's the only available on tethered 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 the only website you can buy that on and um i also got a youtube channel it's called Eberhardt's Outdoors, and we've got a lot of good stuff coming up this spring. 
we did a lot of filming on uh, postseason scouting last year that we're going to start posting this spring. We we filmed it during postseason, but we didn't start the channel last year until I think it was May or June. So it was beyond postseason. So I didn't want to show footage of stuff that was beyond what you the viewer could do at that point in time. So we're going to view show that stuff then, and and I'm going to have a lot more stuff on instructional saddle hunting because. A lot of the saddle stuff you see on YouTube is pretty lame, right? In my opinion. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Uh, good luck to you in your scouting this uh, this postseason. Um, and Looking then, forward to it. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm itching to get out myself, and uh, I'm sure I'll be pinging you with some questions. I'm actually going to text you a couple pictures of deer after this, so uh, so oh, be cool. looking at your phone. And keep in mind, you guys, on the scouting. To me, and I think Clint would definitely agree with this. Scouting and location preparation and figuring out entry routes and exit routes, proper entry routes and exit routes and seasonal daily timing, you know, that's that's 90% of the hunting. Figuring yeah. out how to hunt a location is much more important than actually hunting location. 100%. Um, yep. Getting, picking out the right spot and the right tree, the right height, the right entry route, the right exit route, all, everything has to combine to have be consistently successful yeah and the good news is guys out there listening that john and i actually did a whole podcast on that and i can share i will share those notes uh in the in the show notes uh so you guys can easily get to that it's a whole session on exit uh on access in in uh, exit so with that john i appreciate okay. you coming on brother and uh okay. you have yourself a good night and i look forward to talking to you soon okay thanks clint everybody have a good time out there All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see you all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.